Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Saturday, October the 21st. And welcome to our, our commentary. Just a quick uh, heads up. I have a post over at the American Thinker today talking about not necessarily media bias, because I think this is beyond that. Uh, this is more media, media malpractice. Uh, and of course, I'm talking about this incident that was widely reported by many different media outlets about the Israelis bombing a hospital and killing 500 people and these videos that were being shown on TV of the ambulances and all of that. Well, as it turned out, it didn't happen. Um, I'm not saying those videos or those people were not real, but they had nothing to do with the hospital. But this story was picked up by a lot of very serious news organizations, what we would call mainstream uh, news organizations. We're not talking here about some crazy right wing or left wing, uh, you know, podcast or whatever, or website. These are supposed to be the best of the brightest, you know, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, and so on. Uh, but they basically, um, you know, they told us something that had not happened. And I don't know why this is going on. You know, in my post, I write that, that maybe the issue here is that there's too much economic pressure, meaning everybody wants to be the first to report something because they, you know, they have this breaking news mentality that they want to be the first ones to tell you that something happened. You know, I don't have a problem with that, but if you're going to go breaking news and you're going to be reporting something that actually did not happen, then maybe... You know, maybe the problem is in your editorial staff, that people in your editorial staff are not taking the time to verify and confirm whether or not something of this magnitude actually happened. Again, we're talking about um, an attack in a hospital that apparently or allegedly had killed 500 people. That's a big story. That's a big story, particularly in the context of what is happening in that region right now, where any day you may see the Israeli ground forces go into, into Zaga, so, or Gaza, I'm sorry, Gaza. So it, to me, it, it, this is beyond media bias. This is really more media malpractice. And it's the kind of stuff that if a lawyer were to do this, a CPA, uh, any business were to do this, there'd be some serious accountability and potentially some heads would roll. That never seems to happen with the media. I'm sure you remember the Russia story. You know, we were told for two years, three years about the Russia Trump story. Turned out to be false. There was no such thing. And to my knowledge, none of the people who were writing these articles in the media, articles based on sources close to the information, I don't know that anybody ever got fired for any of that. I mean, I don't even know if those sources uh, were, uh, were somehow not fired, but at least thrown in the garbage for having been bad sources. So there's a lot of issues going on with the media right now. And this is, I think, only the latest one. But in my article, I also point out that this week or in the last week or so, Gallup, which is probably the, you know, the oldest and most prestigious of all of the public opinion services, came out with an article saying that more and more Americans do not trust the media. They just don't believe the media. They don't think they're getting the real stuff. And when you see a story like this about this hospital and the way that so many in the media ran with it, 
uh, you can understand why. You can understand why. Now, again, my question is, is anybody, anybody's head going to roll? Um, I don't know, but they should. Some editor, the editor who approved the story, the editor who said, okay, go live with this story, break the story. That ed editor, I think, has some explaining to do. Uh, certainly, if I was the owner of the newspaper or the you know the general manager of the station or the network, I would be calling in that editor saying, what did you do? Why did you go public? You know, why did you go out there with a story that turned out to be completely false? Why didn't you check your sources or at least wait? You know, they could have told us, look, you know, uh, the Hamas is reporting that a hospital was hit. They're blaming Israel. Well, we don't know anything. We cannot confirm anything. All we're telling you is what Hamas is saying. They could have said that, but no. Some of them bought the whole story that Israel had done it. And that's uh, media malpractice. That's uh, as much as I, as I can tell you. Well, on a better topic, on a more enjoyable topic, this has been a very uh, passionate uh, week for uh, baseball here in Texas because the Astros and the Rangers have been uh, fighting each other in the league championship championship series. And on Friday night, they had a great game that the Astros eventually won uh, in the last inning. And the series right now, the Astros are leading the series three to two. They will play uh, another game in Houston Sunday night. And if necessary, if it goes to game seven, they will play that in Houston, of course, on, on Monday night, if necessary, if game seven is necessary. But the key to this incident, what happened here uh, in Arlington, Texas, right, where the Rangers' home park is, what happened here is that the Houston pitcher hit one of the Rangers. And, of course, you had a little commotion on the field. And then the umpires came in and said that the pitcher's pitch had been intentional, meaning he meant to hit uh, the batter. And that created even more controversy because the Astros' manager was saying, how can you tell? Uh, the intention of my pitcher. And frankly, the moment that it occurred, bottom of the eighth, uh, in the middle of a rally, I mean, there's no pitcher on earth who would throw at a batter in a situation like that. I'm not saying that pitchers have not thrown at batters in the past. Of course they have. But not in that situation. You would have to be very stupid to try to hit a batter and put a batter on base uh, with nobody out, bottom of the eighth, and you just don't do that. That's not smart. And uh, so anyway, the, but the umpire said, no, you were intentionally trying to hit him. That, of course, means that the pitcher is thrown out of the game, and that, you know, the manager of the Astros then went berserk, and I think with good reason, and he got thrown out of the game. So the Astros had to bring in a brand-new pitcher. This whole thing took like about 15 to 20 minutes. They certainly felt longer than that but it certainly took at least 10 to 15 minutes, which meant that the game had basically stopped for 10 to 15 minutes. And the pitcher that the Rangers were scheduled to pitch in the top of the ninth just sat there, sat there in the dugout during all that time. And that's a bad deal for relief pitchers. They cannot sit out uh, that long in the dugout because they lose their rhythm. They, they get cold as they, as they like to say. So very contentious, very contentious uh, inning a lot of back and forth. You understand the passion. That's fine. The passion is great in baseball. It's great to have passion. But I still do not understand uh, why that uh, umpire decided that the Houston pitcher was intentionally throwing at the Ranger. 
I don't get it because it doesn't make any sense to me that a pitcher would throw in that uh, situation. So I think Dusty Baker, the manager of the Astros, was 100% correct in blowing up and eventually getting thrown out of the game. Well, unfortunately, the, the Astros won in the top of the ninth with a very dramatic three-run homer. The Rangers put up a fight in the bottom of the ninth but fell short. So the Astros won, and they won fair and square. But it was a very painful loss for, for the Rangers, to say the least, as I mentioned before. Now they're moving on to game six in Houston, and we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll mention that the next time, uh, the next time you, we, we, uh, we get together. Well, a couple of things on this day in history. First of all, let's remember uh, the great Cuban singer, Celia Cruz, who was born on this day in 1925. She passed away in 2003. She became one of the greatest uh, performers of Cuban music all around the world. She came to the United States, I think in the early 60s. She was a young woman. She had had some success in Cuba, uh, but certainly nowhere near the success that she eventually earned here in the United States. And if you go back to the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, I mean, she was on top of the world. She was selling records everywhere. She was also awarded several uh, Grammys. I think I think the gold Grammys is a Grammy or the other one that uh, you get for, for a musician. So she was a very well-known woman and without question, probably the best performer of Cuban music uh, here in the last 20 or 25 years. So Celia Cruz, who was born on this day in 1925, passed away in 2000, 2003. Just an absolutely amazing performer. And just about every Cuban I know has an album, a CD, or an MP3, whatever they call them. Uh, just about every Cuban I know has a Celia Cruz song on their playlist. I do. And I enjoy them, by the way. When I go out for a walk and I, you know, I need something to get me up, that's one of the songs. Uh, some of her songs are the ones that I, uh, that I play. By the way, I did an interview with Fernando Hernandez, who's a Cuban-American author. And I did an interview with him uh, about 10 years ago. And we're featuring that interview today, Saturday, over at the Babalu blog. So if you follow the Babalu blog, you will see the interview there that I did about the amazing life of Celia Cruz, just uh, one of the greatest and most entertaining performers ever to, uh, to record and sing music. And on this day in 1975, uh, the famous Carlton Fisk home run in the bottom of the 12th, and the Red Sox went on to win that game in extra innings. The next day, of course, the Cincinnati Reds came back and won game seven to win the series. But one of the greatest games, one of, and one of my favorite games, uh, I remember watching it. I remember staying up till midnight or even a little bit later to watch Carlton Fisk uh, hit that home run. You know, at one point in that game, in the bottom of the eighth, the Reds had a 63 lead. And they looked like they were going to uh, win uh, that game and, of course, the World Series that day. But then the Reds had this great rally in the bottom of the Red Sox, had a great rally in the bottom of the eighth. Bernie Carbo hits a three-run home run. The game is tied. And then it went into extra innings. And for the next three or four innings, it became one of the best games ever played. There were some amazing things that happened on the field that day. Some of them are very difficult to describe. Great plays, great throws, just a lot of things that made that one of the best uh, baseball games 
ever played. Game six, 1975 World Series on this day, 48 years ago. That's the part that gets me. 48 years ago. That's, man, has it really been that long? I guess that tells you we're all getting old if we remember something that happened 48 years ago. But I remember that one quite well because I stayed up. I stayed up to watch the whole thing and the post-game celebration and everything else. And then I couldn't go to sleep because, uh, you know, I was all excited. And it took me a while to go to sleep uh, that uh, whatever day that was, uh, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't I couldn't go to sleep because I kept thinking about that great, uh, great game. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.